grab your Bibles this evening and make your way to the book of Esther, the book of Esther, and we'll uh, we'll see what the Lord will have for us this evening. And again, I do appreciate Brother Carey's message this morning. That was a blessing, and uh, I certainly hope that uh, that you get something from this evening's as well. Let's, uh, well, let me tell you what I'm going to try to accomplish here in, in uh, with God's word, with God's help, is uh, we're going to look at this book. And in the book of Esther, there are four main characters. Most of you know this. Uh, ten, it's a quick read, ten short chapters. goes by really quick. Uh, there's four main characters in there. There's the king. There's, uh, there's Esther. There's Mordecai, her cousin, who uh, adopted her as his daughter. And, of course, there's Haman. And uh, those are the four main characters. Of course, there's other people in there. There's Vashti and there's the King's Chamberlains that are brought up. Um, and there's other people. But those are the four main characters. And I thought we'd look tonight, uh, with God's permission, we'd look at Haman and Mordecai and the contrast between the two of them. We'll look at a couple other things as well, but uh, that will be the, the goal tonight. Um, but let me, let me start by picking up in uh, Chapter 5. Verse number 9, we'll read uh, 9 through the, the rest of that chapter. That's well into our story, um, and then, uh, and then we'll, we'll start to, to pick some parts out. All right. Then went Haman forth that day, joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself, and when he came home, he sent and called for his friends and Zeresh, his wife. And Haman told them of the glory of his riches and the multitude of his children and all the things wherein the king had promoted him and how he had uh, advanced him above the princes and the servants of the king. Haman said, Moreover, yea, Esther the queen did let no man come in with the king unto the banquet that she had prepared but myself. And tomorrow am I invited unto her also with the king. Yet all this availeth me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then said Zerosh his wife and all his friends unto him, let gallows be made of fifty cubits high, and tomorrow speak thou unto the king that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then go thou in merrily, in merrily with the king unto the banquet, and the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll begin. Father in heaven, I do thank you, Lord, for this time. Lord, I'm so thankful for your word, and I'm thankful for your Holy Spirit. God, I, I pray that you would use me, get me out of the way. Father, speak through me, and Lord, I pray that you'd speak to your people. Uh, Lord, that you'd draw us closer to you. You'd reveal in us the things that need to be changed. You'd cheer us up and give us a good glimpse of you and the things that please you and the things that do not please you. Lord, I pray that you would get all the honor and the glory from this evening. I pray for those that are afflicted, uh, whether it be illness or, or emotional problems. Uh, I pray for those that are traveling. Uh, Lord, I pray that you put, keep a hedgerow of protection around this church. And Lord, we'll be sure to give you all the honor and the glory for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
All right. So like I said, folks, uh, there's four main characters in that book. And, and we, if we started back in chapter one, and, uh, of course we won't preach through that, that whole book, but when we preach back or we look back in chapter one, we kind of get a perspective of, of the moral condition of what's going on, uh, there in chapter one. As we look at verse number eight, uh, if you want to with me, I'm just going to read that. And, uh, drinking was according to the law. None did compel, for so the king had appointed to all the officers of his house and that they should do according to every man's pleasure. Not a good sign. That's uh, that's a situation going on when, when it's everything's left to man's pleasure. Kerry alluded to that in his message today. That's not a good thing. However, that's where we are, and we've got to be honest with ourselves, that's where we are all the time. As long as we're clothed in our flesh, we're going to be prone to do the things that Please us. So uh, that's the that's the moral condition, if you will, uh, just by a quick look at one verse. I will give you a time frame on this. Uh, this I didn't. Maybe I knew before, but uh, in my study looking through this again, uh, this I, I thought maybe I, I didn't know this as well. But quick time frame on this. Verse number one says that in the third year of his reign, that's the king's reign, he made a feast unto all the princes and his servants, the power of Persia and Media, the nobles of princes and providences being before him. That gives us right off the third year of his reign. We know where he is in, in things, right? So in the third year of his reign, he has this big feast. He has this big party. He's got 127, I think, uh, providences. He's got a big kingdom. And they're all coming together. And uh, that, that happened in the third year of his reign. Most of you know the story about Esther. He had a wife. She was the queen. She was Vashti. And uh, he gets himself all pleasured up in alcohol, and then he has this bright idea to call for his chamberlains to go get his wife because she was fair to look upon and say, hey, let me let me show her off all, to all these fellows. And uh, she, by wisdom, I think, uh, said, no, I'm not going to do that, and that caused a big rift there. But that was in the third year of his reign. So when did Esther come about? I thought this was interesting. In Esther chapter 2, verse 16, that verse reads, So Esther was taken unto King Ahasuerus, into his house royal in the tenth month, which is the month Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. So, again, I'm not real smart, but I know the third year of his reign is when Vashti got kicked out, and Esther, we know, becomes the queen. She goes into his house on the tenth month of the seventh year, almost the eighth year of his reign, really. So he went about close to four years without having a queen in place. And, of course, most of you know, if not all of you know the story that, uh, again, he t- we, we hear about this king a lot, taking a lot of counsel. He, he lets other people make decisions for him a lot. And uh, so he was kind of bummed out. And, and when, when Vashti didn't respond to his uh, his calling, he was bummed out about that. And, of course, the, the princes were, were upset about that, too. They didn't want uh, that rumor to get out and the wives to be empowered, saying, ah, we're going to take some leadership. We don't have to listen to some of the dumb ideas of our husbands. So they got really worried about that. And uh, so they gave him the counsel, hey, you got to get rid of her. You know, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but, you know, you got to send out this letter and this will not be tolerated. And Vashti can come into you no longer, no longer into your house. She's done. So, uh, you know, and, and unfortunately, he takes heed to that. And uh, we look in um, 
in verse number 21 of chapter 1, it says, And the saying pleased the king and the princes, and the king did according to the word of Memucan. Now, that fellow was one of the princes, and he had that idea to, let's send this decree out, and Vashti not come in anymore, and all the women be put in their place. That pleased the king. Here's a good indication. Look at the first verse in chapter 2, and see if you get this flavor with me. After these things, now this is immediately after what happened, they kicked Vashti out. After these things, when the wrath of King Azaharis was appeased, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed against her. I'm wondering, and I'm pretty confident on this, I'm thinking he's having some regret here. He, 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 he was appeased, his wrath was appeased, but all of a sudden now he's missing his wife. Where I get indication of that is look at verse number 2 of chapter 2. Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, Let there be fair young virgins sought for the king, and let the king appointed officers in all the providences of the kingdom, that they may gather together all the fair young virgins unto Shushan, the palace, to the house of the women, unto the custody of Hegi, the king's chamberlain, keeper of the woman, women, and let their things for purification be given them. So based on what the king had said in his countenance, they came up with this very... Uh, very man-orientated uh, 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 plan on how to how they're going to please the king. So you you know how that all came about. And uh, so unfortunately, uh, he he followed through with that, and uh, they did that plan. Now we shouldn't make note in this is uh, is this particular kingdom going on? Uh, these had a lot of Jews that were taken captivity from way back, and uh, there's still a lot of Jews in this particular land, uh, and. Uh, Hadesh, which is Esther, uh, she was one of these fair young women. Now, as I said earlier, Mordecai was her cousin. The Bible tells us it was her cousin and that uh, he must have been a lot older than her. Her mom and dad were dead, so he took her into his household and raised her as his daughter. He loved her. He poured everything into her. He took very good care of her. So I imagine he wasn't all that happy when the king's decree came about and she was taken into the king's palace for pastor preached a message. I don't know how long ago. Sometime last year he called it a pageant. Uh, okay, uh, so this pageant uh, of women, um, that's nicely put. Uh, so the yeah, she was taken up into that, and, and the scriptures tell us that hey, uh, Mordecai would constantly go to the court where these women were so that he could keep an, uh, an eye out, make sure that uh, Esther was being treated okay, that he could hear of her, her doing. So uh, that was going on for sure. Um, so this carnal man's plan goes out into effect again. Uh, a lot of people, when they look at Scripture and they say, uh, wow, that's a little too hard for me. I don't like that. Well, let, let's face it, everybody. Uh, as soon as man's opinion comes in, as soon as man gets involved, things become defiled, don't they? So whether, uh, whether it's in the Bible in reflecting on what man has done or totally no God involved, no following of the Lord and his morals, wickedness comes about. Anything that man's involved in goes away. Uh, so let, let's be mindful of that. I, I hear people all the time talk, especially when they talk about the Old Testament. Wow, that's hard. That's difficult. That's, uh, that's harsh. That's a little too, uh, you know. So anyways, that you, you know how that goes. 
In verse number four of chapter two of Esther, it reads, And let the maiden which pleaseth the king be queen instead of Vashti. And this thing pleased the king, and he did so. So, as I said, uh, he, he starts this whole process, and he's going to choose a new queen, right? In Esther 2, 7 and 8, look at this. And he brought up Hadesh, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter. That's shown that uh, uh, Mordecai was the cousin of Esther. And she had neither father nor mother. And the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. So it came to pass when the king's commandment and his decree was heard, and when many maidens were gathered together onto Shushan the palace to the custody of Haggai, Haggai, that Esther was brought up also into the king's house to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women. So that shows exactly what's going on at that particular time. And uh, as we take a closer look at the Bible, what it teaches about Haman and, and what it teaches about Mordecai, I see a contrast there. Now, last time I had the opportunity to preach, I recall I brought up something about the Pharisees. And uh, the Lord really pressed upon me uh, when I was preparing for that message how I tend to look at the Pharisees as this evil group of people, and I dissociate myself with them altogether, and I, I, you know, put them in a whole different category, and I don't look to the things that God shows us about the Pharisees to see if that's in me. That's wrong. I've tried to change that ever since the Lord showed me that. I find that as a possibility here as well. Haman, if you know the story, and I imagine most of you do, Haman's a wicked fella. Haman's a scoundrel. There's nothing good about Haman in in every aspect of it. And I I almost get that uh, that distorted look in my mind as I'm trying to picture Haman. You all remember uh, Schneidly Whiplash? You all remember him? I know the Canadians do. Because if you didn't know, this is so stupid. I hope not to waste your time on this. There was a Dudley Do Right cartoon, and uh, okay, yeah, and this and this this fella Schneidly Whiplash. He was all crunched over, had the big uh, mustache, and went out all dressed in black, and he tied women to the train tracks. I just want you to get a picture. You learn all sorts of things here at Walrus Baptist Church when the pastor's not in the pulpit. Anyways, anyways, my 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 point there is. We can, if we're not careful, we can try to get this distorted picture of Haman and say, I'm nothing like that. Please, let's do ourselves a favor. Let's look to every aspect of what God's laying down for us, what God has preserved for us, and say, is that in me? Whether it be good or bad, is that possibly in me? So I thought if you, if you, if you know your scriptures, if you look at this, chapter 3 kind of goes over all about Haman. We get into chapter 4, and it gets all about Mordecai, and that's where I saw the contrast. So if you would, I'm just going to share a few verses with you. You can look at these with me and see if you see it as well. But in verse number 1 of chapter 3, it says this, After these things did King Hahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadetheth, an Agatite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. Again, everybody, time frame. This is in the 12th year 
of, of King Ahasuerus. Uh, so remember, uh, third year he has the party, Vashti is kicked out. Uh, almost the, the eighth year, the very end of the seventh year is when Esther comes in and uh, she'll end up being queen. Now this is the twelfth year, so Esther's been queen four years. Uh, does that come into play or not? I don't know, just want you to know the time frame. But uh, Haman, we didn't really hear about Haman as far as one of the chamberlains or the princes. His name didn't come up in any of those, so how did all of a sudden he rise to the very top of this. I'm not sure about that, but he did here in the 12th year. So he gets advanced. He gets promoted over all the princes with him. Now, what about Mordecai? Was he promoted and and advanced and lifted up above everybody? No, not at all. Mordecai, he had his his prized possession. I hate to say a possession of a human being, but his daughter, like Esther was taken from him. He's going to the court daily, and, and, and he's humbling himself. He, he's not rejoicing. He's not lifted up. Uh, so very much contrary between these two men. Now look in verse number 2 of chapter 3 as we look further into Haman. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had commanded so concerning him. Ah, but Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. That's going to be the sticking point. Um, so it's funny. The king commanded this, and everybody is bowing down to Haman. Everybody is giving him reverence, except this one lonely Jew. You would think he'd be riding on cloud nine and, and he'd be saying, wow, I don't deserve this, but uh, this is amazing. Everybody, But they have one guy who's hanging out, and that's going to become a problem. Watch how it amplifies it exemplifies itself, uh, lifts itself up into a problem. Verse number three, then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, why transgressest thou the king's commandment? It's a fair question. They asked a question. It's, it's all right. Now it came to pass when they spake daily on him. They didn't like what he had to say. Later on in the scriptures, we find out it, he told them it's a, it, it, he's a Jew. He bows to nobody but the Lord God. Uh, they didn't like his answer, so they came daily asking him these questions, and he hearkened not unto them. I'm guessing he said it the first time after that. It's like, come on, you know why I'm not doing it. That they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. See how that goes? Now, I don't know if it bothered Mordecai when he first saw it, but it sure got to him when everybody said, hey, Haman, Mordecai's not standing up for you. See how, see how that we can, we can throw that fiery dart. We can pick that up. Maybe it's, maybe it's an honest question. I doubt it, but maybe, maybe it's an honest question, but it plants that seed. Take heed, everybody. Take heed. We're can do that very same thing. We see something and rather, we see something with Jordan. And rather than go to Jordan about it, I say, Hey, Curtis, see why Jordan's doing that? He's not coming until the second hymn is over. I think he should come in and worship with us at the first one. I don't ask Jordan. I ask Curtis. Now, you know how it all goes, right? Just by the way, they are doing exactly what Don leads that ministry up says. Second hymn, right? That's when you come in. Appreciate you following orders and doing good. Good man to look towards. Anyways, uh, so that's what happens. These servants bring it up, and now all of a sudden that's bothering Mordecai. Uh, how about... Uh, 
that's bothering Haman, I'm sorry. Mordecai puts himself in danger. So rather than uh, uh, Haman being lifted up and having all this reverence, when you think about Mordecai, him going out and going to the court where the women are being held all the time, he's putting himself in danger by doing that. He's not being reverenced. He's putting himself in danger, especially since the fact that when Haman comes walking by, he's not rising up. He's following what the Lord has said for him to do. He's following his principles. He's not, he's putting himself in danger. Uh, very much a contrary to Haman. How, or, yes, Haman's subsidiaries, uh, his, uh, people that obey him. Uh, they sought justice for him, and I share that with you. They, they asked him those questions. How about Mordecai? What happens? He doesn't have any subsidiaries. Uh, he doesn't have any people looking out for him, but he's got a loved one, doesn't he? He's got Esther looking out for him. And the fact that Mordecai ends up putting on sackcloth and ashes and going and mourning when he finds out what Haman's ultimately going to do, kind of jumping around. But he puts on this sackcloth and ashes and he goes to the king's court. That is not supposed to be done. Nobody is supposed to show up at the king's court with sackcloth and ashes on their head. When Esther finds out about that, she gets real nervous, gets up a, gets up a suit or something for, for Mordecai and sends it through her, the chamberlain to him saying, Hey, get off the sackcloth and ashes and put on this good stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm all right. We'll be okay. No, he wouldn't do it. So. Very much a contrast between Haman and Mordecai, how they're living their life, what's going on in their life. Uh, Haman was full of wrath due to his pride in verse number five. Uh, when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not himself, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. Hmm, full. Yeah, not, it was bothered, kind of, kind of tweaked him a little bit. He was full of wrath. It, it, it got into his every, every aspect. And he was full of wrath from that. Uh, what do we see about Mordecai? Well, Mordecai wasn't really all that happy either. However, his wasn't because somebody wasn't giving him reverence. He wasn't getting reverence. Mordecai was full of sorrow uh, about the evil that was projected upon his people. In verse number one, let's, let's read verse uh, four one together. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, that's Haman's wicked plan coming into play. When he perceived that all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry and came even before the king's gate for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. What was bothering Mordecai was not the fact, hey, I'm not getting reverenced or or I'm getting picked on by the servants of Haman. What was bothering him is his people had an unjust decree put upon them. They were going to be heavily persecuted. As most of you know, Haman devised this wicked plan that he was not only going to eliminate Mordecai, who he's got the problem with, he's going to eliminate all Jews. All Jews. So he sets up this decree. Again, I think most of you know this. Forgive me if you don't. But he sets up this decree. Decree goes out at the uh, 13th day of the 12th month. Now, this is, I think, in the third month when he writes it out. But in the 12th month, 13th day, this decree is going to go out. Anybody that's got a problem with the Jews, they're going to kill them. They're going to kill the young and the old. They're going to kill the children and the women. And they're going to take all their stuff. 
That's it's set up by the king uh, through this wicked devise of Haman. That has bothered Mordecai so much that he's willing to put himself in danger as he comes to the king's house. He's not bothered, like I said, by like Haman. Haman's upset because one person isn't giving him reverence. Whole Shushan is giving him reverence. One person's not. He's bothered by it. Mordecai, he's bothered because a whole people are going to be affected. Much different in, in the things that bother them. Uh, verse number six of chapter three. Helman, Helman. Haman beheld evil thoughts that were self-centering and self-preserving at the demise of many. Let's read that together, and it kind of tells you what more or what uh, Haman devised. Uh, this is uh, verse number six of chapter three. And he, Haman, thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had shown him the people of Mordecai. Wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of the Hasherites. Even the people of Mordecai. So he devises this evil plan, this wicked plan to afflict many. Uh, Mordecai, his thoughts were, were on a way to preserve his people and regardless to self, uh, cost or, or what it was going to cost him. Let's look at Mordecai, what, what, what he set out to do. Verse number eight of chapter four. Also he, Mordecai, gave him a copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it to Esther. This is, he's given it to the Chamberlain that came, uh, by Esther's call and to declare it unto her and to charge her that she should go in unto the king and make supplication unto him and to make request before him for her people. Now, listen, what Mordecai just did is he put his loved one, his cherished loved one in danger because she cannot go in front of the king unless the king calls her to. He knows this, but he told her to do that anyhow because there is a bigger cause at hand, isn't there? Uh, so he did that. We go down to 13 and 14 of that same chapter. Then Mordecai, Esther hears that. Esther's got some great concerns about that. She brings that very thing up. She sends the Chamberlain back to tell uh, Mordecai this. Look at verse 13 of chapter 4. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall there an enlargement and delivery, deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You hear what Mordecai's laying down there? He's saying, and this is where he shows his faith. And I know God's not mentioned specifically in these ten chapters, but here's where Mordecai is showing his faith. He says, look, at you hold your peace in all this, then maybe, well, God's people, they're going to be preserved another way. But you and, and the rest of us, we're going to be slayed. But God will preserve his people. But maybe you have been sent to a, for a time as this. So Mordecai, again, he is encouraging his loved one to put herself in danger for the betterment of all the people. What a high standard. And I think about our children. And, 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 and some of you uh, out there, I know Mary, who's not here, but some of you have got children in the ministry. Uh, some of you have, have sent their children out to mission fields. Wouldn't that be a, a, a we pray about that we say oh wouldn't it be great for our children to be missionaries until it's the time for them to go and then to take our grandchildren you know those are 
whoo, those are some some scary times where it puts our faith really to the test. We heard that preacher, that uh, missionary last week, didn't he? He said those type of things. That's where his faith really got tested at that particular time. And that's really what we see Mordecai doing. You know, he he's putting himself in danger coming to the court like he is. He putting, he's putting himself in danger when he's telling his loved one, Esther, what she should do and all this. That's, that is an admirable uh, stand to say the very least. All right. Uh, Haman, let's go back to Haman for a second. Haman, he acted on this evil desire that was given, uh, him power that he gained by the use of deceit and sat and drank with the king. So if we look at the end of chapter, uh, towards the end of chapter three about, uh, Haman, we see that in verse 12, then were the king's scribes called on the 13th day of the first month, and there was written according to all that Haman had commanded, so it was the first month, sorry about that, unto the king's lieutenants and governors that were over every province and to the rulers of every people of every province according to the writing thereof to every people after their language in the name of King Asirius was written and sealed with the king's rings. So after these letters went out to destroy all the people, remember, this is the power that Haman's gotten by the king, and he's deceiving the king. These Jews are not any threat to the king, but he's laying this picture out to the king. We've got to destroy these people. He's doing that out of his own self-satisfying desires because Mordecai's not praising him. Look at how chapter 3 ends. Uh, The post went out, being hastened by the king's command, and the decree was given in Shushan the palace, and the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city Shushan was perplexed. That's how it ends with, with Haman. Uh, he sends out this evil thing, and rather than being bothered by it all, sits down with the king after he deceived him, tricked him, and all that. Let's, let, let's have a drink together. And what happens with the city? The whole city is perplexed. Is it a Jewish city? No, it's not. It's not a Jewish city. But yet they're perplexed. There's something significant there when we see what happens after Haman. And we're rapidly losing time, so I'll probably just paraphrase that real quick. But what we see of Haman, when Haman ends up getting, I'm sorry, Mordecai, when Mordecai ends up getting in power, this whole thing flips, as most of you know. This whole thing flips, and Mordecai ends up getting power. When he goes out after his decree is sent forth, there is rejoicing in the city. There is gladness, not just in the Jews, but in Shishan. They all see Mordecai, and there's gladness, and there's peace, and there's wonderful wonderful significance there. So that, I find, is interesting. Let's, uh, let's, let's wrap this up. So as we close, we finish with a few points that are consistent in the book of Esther that are shown throughout the scriptures. I, I want to show you that uh, we've got to be careful on how we receive blessings and how we, um, how we perceive the blessings that are received by others. I think it's, it's significant. Uh, it's, listen, it's always going to be God's plan and, and He will execute it to protect His chosen people. In Psalms chapter 122, 6 and 9 says this, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sake, I will now say, Peace be with thee, because of the house of the Lord our God, 
I will seek thy good. That is God. That is God's plan. He will always protect the Jews. That, that, that's one of the great witnessing things. If you get into a witness with a, with a, a, somebody that just outright refutes the Bible, have you ever pointed them to 1967 and the Battle of Turkey? Y'all, y'all know that story? If you don't, look that up. You can even look that up on Google and the Internet. because They'll tell you what's going on there. Russia surrounds Turkey with all these tanks. Turkey's going to be eliminated. They're going to be gone. Listen to what the, the tank drivers, if that's the right term, the people driving the tanks, the people in the tank, listen to their testimonies. They said it was like uh, uh, this this uh, army was all around them. There wasn't an army all around them. They saw something that, they saw something, that, again, Google will tell you this. Amazing. God's hand of protection is on God's people, whether we're in it or not. But why would you not be in it? Why would you not be praying for the peace of Jerusalem? Why would you want to do any harm to God's people, uh, the Jews? Uh, that's that's just, it's, it's reckless. It's going against scriptures. There's never any pleasing of God when you go against the Jews uh, by any means. Uh, how about Psalm 30? If we read Psalm chapter 30, verses 11 and 12, I bet you Mordecai could have wrote this. We know he didn't, but listen to Psalms 30, 11 and 12. Thou hast turned me, turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. Listen, whatever we're going through, whatever the trial or tribulation is, again, we may not be uh, uh, resolved this in this earthly vessel, but God will bring us through one way or another. Uh, and if we keep our eyes upon him, if we stay thankful, if we stay praising him, doing the things that he calls us to do, he is pleased, he is glorified, others come on to him, uh, that is just a good thing to do. And Mordecai was a great example of that, putting himself in danger for the betterment of others, not losing sight on what God had called uh, his people to do. And then uh, if we read, uh, we read of Mordecai in Esther 9, 4, it sounds very familiar to what God's word says about David. Let's read 9, 4 together and then look at this other scripture. 9, 4 in Esther says this, For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame went out throughout all the providences, for this man Mordecai waxed greater and greater. So as he held firm to what God said for him to do, God orchestrated it all, flipped that thing on Haman. Haman, the gallows that he built was hung on those very gallows. His ten sons were hung on those gallows. Uh, he was eliminated. Mordecai lifted up. Mordecai in the script, or Mordecai in the scriptures says, waxed greater and greater. Look what our scriptures say about David in 1 Chronicles 11, 9. So David waxed greater and greater. Why? For the Lord of hosts was with him. The Lord was with Mordecai. As Mordecai held to do right, the Lord was with him. It, it's, we don't need the scriptures to say that for us. It's extremely apparent. It, it's, it's obvious without even saying it. And then uh, when we revisit or consider the portion of Scripture, let us remember that God is teaching us fundamental truths and principles, uh, like what we find in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let our conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. 
so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. That That is our God. And, and, and we see that. We saw that in the contrary with Haman. Haman was Haman got blessings, but he was bothered by the little things. Pride sunk in, and, and uh, he, he turned wicked on that, where Mordecai was the opposite of that. He didn't, he, he had bad things going on. Esther was taken. He had bad things going on. He was being picked on by Haman uh, and Haman's servants for, for doing what was right. He, he wasn't covetous. He wasn't, he wasn't complaining. He just held tight, and the Lord provided for him. And we conclude, and we'll end with this portion of Scripture, and I think we would all do well to remember and to share with one, or one another what we see in Psalms chapter 7, verses 10 through 17. Listen to the words. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. God judges the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. He had also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordained his arrows against the persecutors. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity and hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit and digged it and is fallen into the ditch which he had made. His mischief shall return upon his own head. And his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Be assured of this. Evil will be paid appropriately. They will not win. For us to get our eyes on the evil and to be all shaken by that is a lack of faith. It, it, it's not an easy thing to disregard that and to just keep doing what's right and to praise God and be thankful in those situations. But that is exactly what we're called to do. That is exactly what our calling in life is for. And let's face it, what we've been given to accomplish that should accomplish that for us. The Lord has overcome. Y'all know the tomb is empty. He got up out of it. And we say it all the time, he's coming back. Do we believe that? He's coming back for us. We're done with all this. After a little while, we're done with all this. Let's finish the course strong. Let's finish the course course praising him and not getting wrapped up in in the, the wickedness of the world and whenever they should get victory or whenever they should get what maybe looks like uh, uh the spoils of life, they, they're going to get what they're going to get. And we don't want that. We got salvation. We got, we got, we got the Lord Jesus Christ. Now go tell somebody about that. Amen. Amen. All right. I don't know what the Lord did within your heart. Maybe he just gave you strength to tolerate me. That would be, we would just praise God for that. And, and I get that completely. But if the Lord uh, did anything and, and you want to deal with that, certainly come to the altar. Uh, we'll take a little time just to, uh, just to reflect, just to pray for a bit. And then, uh, then we'll close out the service.